welcome to The Progression Puzzle, the podcast that provides you with invaluable pieces of career wisdom brought to you by Barrington Hibbert Associates. I'm your host, Michael Barrington Hibbert, and across the podcast, I'll be speaking to a variety of esteemed leaders, thinkers, and inspiring figures from the world of finance, banking, professional services, and beyond to understand how their progression puzzles have pieced together. From words of wisdom to pointers on progression, we'll be equipping you with the skills, practices, and learnings necessary, not only to navigate corporate environments, but to thrive within them and ultimately pursue your professional goals. Today, I'm joined by Robin Grew, Chief Operating Officer and General Counsel of Man Group. Robin is a well-known and celebrated ally. She leads Man's Group's DNI agenda and drives the Paving the Way campaign, which seeks to create a pathway for diverse candidates to enter and succeed within the investment industry. She is also a senior sponsor of Man Group's LGBT Plus Network, Away from work, she's an advocate and participant in a Speaker for Schools program and works to inspire students to pursue their goals across industries such as business, arts and politics. Robin will talk about her career path, her progression, how she balances her work, life and much, much more. Robin, welcome to the Progression Puzzle. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I, I like that introduction. I think you said it better than I could say it. So thank you. Well, your, your office actually wrote it for me. So I think you have a, a massive thank you to uh, Marina and Lucy for that. Look, I really wanted to start off um, with what you're doing now, because the Chief Operating Officer and Chief Legal Counsel, is, is it sounds like a big role. Can you tell our, our listeners today what you are responsible for and what your role actually entails yeah i'd be delighted to so my my role as the chief operating officer for man group is is i'm responsible for what we largely call the support and control functions within the firm so if it's legal or compliance or business operational risk hr talent cybersecurity, our CISO work, our operations of our business then that comes into me that's under my sort of the coo title and that's how i get that general counsel title as well I, I happen to be the head of the US because I, and I'm talking to you today from sunny New York City. As you say, I sponsor as the senior member of Exco, the Drive initiative, which is all around supporting our employees and our efforts as a firm to bring about diversity and equity and inclusion. Uh, I also run the ESG program for Man Group, which means I'm responsible for both the corporate social responsibility of the firm, but I'm also responsible for the strategy setting of our responsible investment products as well. So I have a very diverse and a very wide role within Man Group, which I can do thanks to a, a just an extraordinary team that works with me every single day and keeps me, I guess, on the straight and narrow. On the straight and narrow. I, I like that because we've got some people actually listening to the call to make sure that this uh, you are going to stay on the straight and narrow. Look, Robin, the, the whole objective of these podcasts is the progression puzzle. And you spoke about the diversity and richness of your role being a COO and chief legal counsel of Man Group. 
I'm really keen for you to be able to walk myself and the listeners through about how you were able to develop the skill sets that you needed to be a success in this role. So what was the beginning for you, um, Robin, in terms of where you went to university, your first job, which enabled you to sort of emulate and, and, and go into such a high profile and highly pressurized job? It's a terrific question. And, and perhaps I'll, I'll, I'll do my very best to give you the answer. The, the trouble is you get older, you can recreate your own history, it feels to me. But listen, as a kid, I, was, I wasn't really interested in school. I, you know, I was much more interested in the opportunities that school gave me to socialise and, 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 and to kick about in, in sports and to live my life as a very informed teenager because I knew everything at that point. And as I've gotten older, I've learned less and less about my life than I did when I was that age. Ultimately, I fell on my feet. I did a law degree. I then uh, went to the bar, uh, and, and not just the one where I lifted my right arm, but the one which involved me getting a wig and a gown. So, and it terrifies me to say this, but in 1991, I was called to the bar of England and Wales. That's a long time ago, and I was very much interested in being an advocate. Advocacy is sort of at my heart and soul it's what I like doing best um, somebody once rather cruelly said to me that it must have been the best thing for me in the world to have 12 people who couldn't actually say anything as I spoke to them and perhaps that's right but what that meant was I, I got this tremendous training standing on my feet being a very junior barrister and I, I turned around twice and I kind of thought to myself well <clears throat> this is terrific but in 30 years time if I ever get to the ripe old age of 40, you know, at that point um, in my life, if I ever even manage to get there, it seems so far away, maybe I don't want to be doing common law. Maybe I want to be doing something that's commercial. And so my plan was that I would come into this thing called business, this thing called finance, and then I would go back to the commercial bar. And I can promise you that that is the only plan I've ever had in my life around my career. And I have failed miserably at that um, execution of that. Well, I found myself in financial services as a lawyer, um, trying to work out what this thing called banking was, trying to work out what regulation was, trying to work out where I could fit in this space. And through a series of breaks and through a series of opportunities where somebody said to me, that's new, would you like to go and have a go at that? I found myself just becoming more and more experienced in this space and more and more interested in it. The pace in this world is fantastic. You don't know what you're going to come into every day. You don't know whether you're going to be dealing with Russia, as I did right at the beginning of my career and the Russia collapse, or whether I'm going to come in today, um, Michael, as you and I have spoken, and we're now talking about a, a country that has invaded um, the Ukraine. I mean, this is the world we're living in. It is extraordinary. And you also realize that within financial services, we do something that's incredibly important. We at Man Group think about every single day the security of savers and pension holders and how we can ensure that we are adding value to them. And financial security matters to all of us. And so what's happened is I found myself in this journey of just being more and more connected to this interesting, intellectually stimulating, diverse space where I can add value and actually culturally and, and, and true to my own values, I can connect with real people in the real world and hopefully make a bit of a difference to them in my, my contribution. How am I prepped for this, you ask me? I think by being extraordinarily open 
to different opportunities and just going with it and finding places where what you see today, the person I am, can add value in whatever circumstance that was, whether it was moving to Japan or maybe moving to the States or coming back to the UK or indeed being back in the US now. That was a lot. No, no, that, that was brilliant. And, and, and thank you. Um, you've seen me scribing away here because the listeners will discover that Robin is, is, is very humble. And with, with the progression puzzle, our listeners want to obviously hear about every facet of, of, of your career journey. And it, it sounds as though that you've been very brave. You've mentioned around being given breaks, uh, opportunities. But how does that teenager, because you said, look, Michael, I wasn't really interested in academics. I played in sports, hanging out with my mates. How does someone who with that sort of maybe laser fair type of attitude... Um, and again, my, my daughter's doing her GCSEs this year, and she's a little bit like that. But when did it change for you that you start to say, do you know what, I'm really interested in law? So I'm, because the, the breadth of our listeners could be someone from 10,000 black interns who hasn't got sponsors, they're still trying to figure it out, or it could be someone who's chief legal counsel at another organisation. I'm just trying to understand where that sort of click happen, happened for you. Do you know, it's a really fabulous question, because... I think the click happened in, in a couple of different phases, if I'm allowed to say it that way. One, I think I tuned into me quite quickly and I, I worked out that I was probably not very capable of being anything other than, than the person I am. And so I was not confronted with a position where I tried to fit in. And what I tapped into was actually when you don't do that and when you are a little bit different, that's your strength. If you can, if you can kind of, if you can power that bit of you, that's really good. And I enjoy that. You know, I enjoy being a bit different and coming to the stage with something of a different perspective and a different cast. So that was interesting to me. The other thing was something I, I, I had a couple of people, but um, and I'm going to say, oh God, I have, my, my mother probably won't listen to this, but we'll, we'll get, maybe she will now. But th- there was there were many different people my career and at one point even my mum said to me and I'll say this was that yeah I was never going to fit the corporate world right the corporate world was just not made for Robin Robin was not made for the corporate world whichever which way round you wanted to talk about that and I never like being told because by nature I am more rebellious than I am conformist by nature I will find myself being the one who's quite happy to have the alternative opinion and isn't smart enough to shut up about it. Um, I am the one who doesn't like strictures for strictures sake. If you give me a, a sense of you have to do this before you do this, before you do the next thing, before you do that, I'm like, why? Why do you need to do that? Um, I think there is a story in all of us about what it is that makes us interested and excited about things. I don't understand things that are just there for the sake of it. I like to do things because there's meaning and content and and drive behind them. And if you say to me, I have to fill in a blue piece of paper before I fill in the pink piece of paper to get the yellow piece of paper to get to a green piece of paper, I'm like, can I not just go to the green piece of paper? Seems to me that's where I need to end up. And so I think people's understanding of the corporate worlds and people's understanding of financial services was you've got to do that paper thing. And Robin, you know, by nature, you live your life not doing the paper thing. The paper thing isn't your thing, my friend. And that challenge was an interesting one. Now, whether it was deliberate or not, I don't know. 
because I'm not that smart. But what I can tell you is I'm not very good at being told I can't do something. And so to some extent, that was that that was the drive that took me out of I'm quite a good advocate. I'm quite a passionate individual. I like a bit of a challenge. I really was going to go back to the corporate bar and serve up corporates, you know, to, to because they were these, these machines that I didn't understand and therefore must be a bad thing. And I ended up in a place where I, I, I have found myself being able to influence and change and connect and drive change in a way that's really appealing. And I work with the most extraordinary group of people. And they are different and they are brilliant on the whole. And they are doing a very good thing in society, which is largely cast in in poor media headlines. So, so for me, that click moment was I'm quite good at being me. I kind of know who I am. I kind of know what I'm good at. And I can do that in this space. And then I, I and, and actually the blue piece of paper and the yellow and whatever order I did it in before, you don't have to do that. You just don't. Um, and so that was that's brilliant. And if I can facilitate, if I can rip up more pieces of paper for lots more people, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So sorry to interject. We, we talk about role models. Who are your role models in order to to drive that self awareness as a teenager to say, Robin, it's okay. For you to be different, Robin, it's okay. Who 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 was that person that gave you that 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 belief to be? So I've written down here, disruptor, <laughs> disruptor. Who gave you that fundamental belief in self to be able to embrace that? And and I'll just make one last point: is that naturally I write left-handed. I'm 42 years of age, and growing up being left-handed was a bad thing. And my teachers told me I had to write with my right hand. So this is in the 1980s 80s that this happened. I wasn't able to be self. So tell me who gave you that self-belief, Robin? Again, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting moment. I think for me, there was not one moment that, that was, this is your self-belief. I think I was a strident kid. I mean, I, you know, if, if there was a cause, I would... I would march in it. I would march against Stansted and runways, and I would march for the miners. And I would, and I joined, you know, CND, and I joined everything that I could that was about trying to question what was going on in the world. Sometimes, with, without really understanding, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of the, the more complicated issues. I think it is people throughout my my school who were the rebellious teachers or the rebellious lecturer who recognized that you know actually to get me engaged in some issues had me teach it was people in my early part of my career who recognized and were willing to use kind of use me in a way that went okay you like doing these things let me let me pick you up and put you on a plane and send you to japan to sort things out and i was lucky and i sought those people out and I, Mike, as I said before, I'm not sure I ever had the choice. It, I never sort of gave myself the choice to be anything other than me. It felt very natural for me. I'll tell you the, the other thing I think that is real is that when you are gay and you're a kid and you're a kid of my age, so go back a fair while. I just told you when I was called to the bar, I'm not going to do the rest of the maths for you. But 
you know, I was 16 and gay in 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 the world and you make some choices at that point about how you um are going to live your life and i made a very clear choice at that point that this was going to be who i was and and to some extent i felt like that gave me a freedom that i that others didn't have at some point when you are different you don't fit what the expectations that society might have around you. So, you know, at some point, you know, nobody thought I was going to get married or have a child. I mean, I did both of those things and to another woman. But, but the point is you kind of get let off some of the strictures of what people expect of you. I loved that. I enjoyed that. But I've never lost the fact that growing up when I did, it was a bit tough. You know, pe people were not very kind to you if you were a, a gay woman. You know, that 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 wasn't a good thing to introduce yourself in a rugby club about. You know, that was not your that was not your best foray into making friends. So I think there are many different parts of it. But at the heart of it was me saying, you know, finding value in me, I think. Thank you. Um, the, the reason why I, I slightly pause there, because I have family members who um, who are gay and unfortunately have not been able to to share who they are with with uh, a, a parent because of religious views and things like that. And um, unfortunately, uh, that family member passed away. And it's so sad in this day and age that we can't live our true self. And, you know, for, for my listeners, we have a series of questions and I've gone back and forth on this. But what you get from Robin, and, and you're, you're getting the truth, and you're, you're understanding how this incredible woman who uses humor to deflect who she really is because she's super smart super brilliant but you now start to understand why she's an ally why she protests against Stansted the, the minor strike oh, gosh this is the 80s this is under the Thatcher regime but you you understand so so with this um again you know you describe yourself as an ally, and you you have explained what this means to you, um, and how it how it's reinforced the importance of allyship. But can you just maybe paraphrase one or two more examples as to why this sort of came about, and and why you are a champion of of allyship across different intersectionalities? Because it's all our story, in the in the biggest way forward. We have different versions of it, but it is about underrepresentation. It is about you not being at equal power with people around you. It's not being able to access opportunities and society in the way that others can. It is about privilege. And it's about the fact that as human beings, we cannot possibly believe that it is okay that one type or section of society has an advantage over another section and type of society that has to be flawed we cannot only think that smart people come from a particular space and time 
that cannot be right. And so if you believe in equity in any shape and form, then you believe in equity for all. And allyship is about that. It's about sometimes saying that I have a better platform, a stronger platform, a platform at all to say something that somebody else can't say because of the position they're in. And it's my role to do that. So allyship is about standing up. It is about being counted. It's about using your voice and your platform when others don't have that. And I think more than anything, that is that is in me. That is in my my blood. And I I could not believe it more strongly or more authentically. And so as we're in this journey and we think about equity within our working environments, it's also within our lives. And, and that's the point. And that's the call that I make to people in this space is that your your opportunity, your ability, your platform is about also opening this up to everyone else. And, and it's just too it's just I couldn't believe it more strongly than I do. No, and, and we're both like minded in that that guys. But but tell me, you know, because it hasn't been plain sailing for you in your career. And and again, I don't expect you to name and shame. But what I'm hoping to get from this question, Robin, is to hopefully tap into people who are going through a tough time for maybe being the only black woman in the team or the only Asian person on a team who are going through some of this. Can you share an example or experience that you've had where it's been challenging because of who you are in terms of your person, personality um, and your beliefs where you just said, look, this is this is tough? Yes, I, I can absolutely do that. I, you know, I can unfortunately give you too many examples where who you are is perceived to get in the way or where people use who you are to get in your way. And, you know, it. it, it it happens in the most extraordinary spaces. So when I was, I, when I was, my son is now 18 um, and at university. Um, but when I was pregnant with my son, I worked for an American investment bank and I had you know, a female MD actively campaign against me getting an MD ship because I'd had the temerity to have a child. Now, that was nothing about being gay. That was just everything about being a woman and everything about the way people think about your ability to contribute or what's right or wrong. I think there are, I have sat in meetings as the most senior lawyer for another investment bank in the room in Japan and had the Japanese council refuse to talk to me because I'm a woman. Um, most women listening in today and, and most people of colour sitting and, and listening in today will recognise the fact that they sit normally alone in the room when it comes to everyone else who's in that meeting with them. They're either, you know, how, how many women on this call will, will recognise being the only woman in the room most times? How many black people on this call will recognise being the only black person in the room at any one time? And that is lonely and it's hard. And it means that your experience of life is not being understood within the context of the meeting you're having. And by the way, it's exhausting that you are the person that has to keep on telling people about that. I mean, it's an exhausting thing you come to do, to come to work, sorry, to do your job. And then time and time again, I get told, and I'm also coming to work to do this other bit as well that nobody else has to deal with. So I recognise all of those stories. So so why do I keep on belligerently going forward? And, and the answer to that is simple, um, because there are more women than there have been 
and there needs to be more women still there are more black people than there there have been and it's still horribly piteously low and not okay if you're in america you haven't got representation from um, south american communities or the latino communities but we this is now being challenged and so if you sit there on your own at the moment look to communities outside of your workplace look to people within your workplace who are your allies look to those people and make them be part of your chosen group of colleagues in the way that you will hear the gay community talking about your family being those people you choose to be your family there's a bit of that going on and we shouldn't be competing in this space michael you know my view about this we should just be changing the world and so for me every woman every black person every person with a different social economic background come together the intersectionality is real and we are here to support one another and by doing so we are genuinely making the world a better place and we're making our organizations better for it thank you i'm just mindful of time so i'm going to have to uh, focus on two more questions if i may what for you has been the most rewarding part of your career today and you've mentioned change you've mentioned being able to influence and um really create a legacy but what what for you has been the most rewarding part of your career to date robin i think by far the most rewarding part of my career is the lifelong relationships that i have with people and that i've formed that go way beyond the firm and have enriched my life my experiences and the, the people that i work with every day by far and away that is what i think is has 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 kept my humor i guess but also has made me a better person with without a doubt that there are people who i learn from and continue to learn from day in day out and i hope that i help them to learn and develop it is enormously rewarding to see people who i have sponsored mentored grow become more successful uh, more influential more capable more themselves um, i'm not sure there's anything better than that quite frankly and i, I would like to add and, and i think that's absolutely um consistent and when i first met you couple of years ago with your dog actually i think it was the beginning of lockdown you had your dog on your lap in cornwall you you inspired me because there aren't enough disruptors like you within the industry within investment management which is a conservative industry so what you've done for me as a 40 year old at the time robin you gave me belief you gave me hope that there is somebody within the c-suite of a leading organization who is driving change from the top so i would like to to thank you for um coming into my life and certainly looking to drive that forward my last question is what advice would you give to the younger version of yourself who was playing football and rugby and not bothering about academics, what advice would you give? Maybe two or three 
lessons, advice, guidance that you would give to your, your younger self? I would tell myself that actually, as much as I was faking it a little bit until I made it, as much as you, you know what, you, you, you kind of, you got this, you've got this in some way, shape or form. And I think that every single one of us, however bold we may appear, we have moments of doubt, we might have moments of loneliness, we might have moments of, well, I didn't do my best in that meeting, or I could have done better in an interview, or I could have done those things. Actually, you are worth it, you are good, you are strong, you are capable, you have stuff to offer. And I mean, it's ridiculous as this sounds, but maybe be bolder sooner. I mean, I, I've spent my life being quite bold, but but I, I, I think I might have even encouraged myself to go further, which I think is slightly worrying probably for a number of people on this call who might know me. But the that, but I think that's the point. I mean, Michael, you said such kind words at the beginning of this 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 particular question. I, I, I can't let it go un, unrecognized. I, one, as always with these relationships, you included, I learn as I listen and if I have been at all valuable to you, that is a tremendous honour, number one. But two, n never think it's one way. If that's another lesson I would have out there, if you're learning from somebody, they're learning from you. If you can create a relationship where you are in that type of dialogue, everyone comes out of that better, even if it's a difficult decision or a difficult conversation. Um, and you and I have had those kind of conversations. And I think to get underneath people's real authentic version of themselves you've got to ask tough questions and you've got to ask yourself tough questions if you lose your ability to be humble if you lose your ability to listen if you lose your ability to be able just to shut up and hear what somebody else's journey was um that's the moment we we don't add as much value um you know when i look back at the summer 2020 it was an enormously humbling moment for black lives matter for me who had considered myself an ally, who'd considered myself to be active and vocal and all of those things. And I sat there grieving that I couldn't have done, couldn't do more, couldn't bring some sort of reassurance to the colleagues and, and the friends around me. You know, we learned through that process and it is my desire still, and um, I, I think people in uh, MAM will know this and friends will hear this, you know, we can't stop talking about things that make us uncomfortable. We can't stop talking about things that we don't have solutions to just because we don't have solutions to them and they make us uncomfortable. We've got to keep going. And so I, I think, you know, as I said, I'm answering your question with I probably have more courage, but I'm answering the question you didn't probably answer by saying, the, these are we are all better for these conversations we are all better for having courage and we're all better for being authentically ourselves thank you robin grew chief operating officer general counsel of man group i would just like to thank you for sharing your vulnerabilities on today's podcast walking us through your teenage years you did skip a number of years in terms of your university um, experience, but I'm sure that might be a uh, an 18 version. So, but but again, I think this has been super helpful. You've spoken about allyship. You've spoken about the the importance of being activated, engaged in order to drive change. Um, I would like to say to our listeners, this will be um, available to download. Um, if there's any questions or queries you have, 
contact myself and I'm sure Robin would be delighted to answer any other questions or queries that you may have. But thank you all for listening to The Progression Puzzle and we look forward to having you back next time. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Michael. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Progression Puzzle brought to you by Barrington Hibbert Associates. If you enjoyed this episode, which I truly hope you have, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the show. For more information on how Barrington Hibberts can help you to maximize the power of difference, head over to www.barringtonhibbert.com. Join us next time for more pieces of the progression puzzle.